Well, good morning, Team Church. My name is Ken. I'm the, one of the assistant coaches here. Jesus is our head coach. And are you excited to be out here in a nice fall day um, for our tailgate party? This has been a weekend of celebration here at Crosswinds. Um, Kim and Trish got married on Friday and we partied on Friday night. And then we served 31 families at our children's clothing exchange. And Simon, the bike guy, gave away about 31 bikes uh, or 30 bikes on Saturday. And um, Team Crosswinds has been working hard, showing the love of Jesus. Marcy and Cleone and my wife and Tracy are tired. They've been working hard. And Danielle all weekend, they all deserve a foot rub. So later today, we're going to do a foot rub chain for all of them. Let's give them a big hand. They've been working hard. Um, if somebody could find my stool, it was out here. And I think somebody took my stool, if they could grab that for me. Um, that'd be awesome. Um, but today we're going to kick back and have some fun, eat some chili and just have a, a great time watching the game in just a little bit. Before we do that though, thank you, Steve. Um, uh, the title of my message is what does God rejoice in? And the text starts out this way in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed to them and to the little children, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In this text, friends, we see Jesus rejoicing. Actually, it is the only time recorded in the scriptures that we see Jesus rejoicing. You know, often we see people or people think of Jesus more like what Isaiah said, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But friends, I want you to know that Jesus rejoiced. He got happy. He was a joyful guy. You know, he was a man who showed his emotions. He got angry sometimes. Scripture says sometimes Jesus wept. Actually, three times in scriptures, we see Jesus weeping. And so today I want you to know if you're grieving, if you're feeling sad, that Jesus understands he weeps with you today. And if you're angry today, if you're angry about some injustice that you see in the world, Jesus is not blind to it. And he will bring justice in his perfect timing. But the question today that we're going to look at is, what does God rejoice in? See, the idea of God rejoicing may sound foreign to some of you. To me, it did. It seemed kind of foreign growing up to me. You know, to later today, we're going to be watching the Bears and the Packers play after we worship together. And I hope that some of you will join us and eat the chili and the hot dogs and enjoy some, uh, you know, cider. But, you know, as we're watching the game later... Maybe some of the teams, maybe your favorite team will make a touchdown. And you'll probably see somebody jump up and rejoice when somebody makes a touchdown. And maybe they'll give each other a high five. 
and maybe they'll jump up and give each other a belly bump. Or maybe they'll do the wave, right? People get really crazy and get excited when their team is doing well. They do all kinds of joy, rejoicing expressions in sports stadiums. I remember as a kid watching the Notre Dame game with my grandma on TV. And she would jump up and almost come out of her wig when Notre Dame would score a touchdown. And when the opponents had the ball, she would be screaming at the TV, rip their arms off and beat them with the bloody ends. My sweet grandma, she was a tough lady. And she was also the one that first took me to church. And at church, she was quiet like everybody else. And she never got excited at church. There was just some dead guy hanging on a cross there and some pretty somber music at church. And no one ever bothered to tell me at that church that that same dead guy walked out of the grave three days later and promised us eternal life. Now that's something to belly bump about. Amen? That's something to high-five about. Now, most people don't know the players on the team in the games that they watch in the stadiums. The, the, the things that they get so excited about. But Jesus, I know personally, and He forgives sin. And He promises us eternal life. And so here at Crosswinds today, I give you permission anytime to give somebody next to you a high five. I, I give you permission to get up and belly bump. I give you permission to do the wave. Amen? Okay. Just don't rip anybody's arm off and beat it with the bloody end, okay? What I'm trying to say is it's okay and we should express our emotions in our worship of Jesus Christ just as strongly or more strongly than we do at a sporting event. Right? Jesus rejoiced, the text says, in that same hour. Well, what happened in that same hour? His disciples had re returned rejoicing about their victories in sharing his gospel. See, even the demons submitted in his name. See, he saw man's greatest enemy, Satan, the one who had brought death and sin to us all, fall like lightning. And yet Jesus said that they should not rejoice that demons submitted to their names, but that they should rejoice that God had written their names in heaven. See, Jesus was rejoicing in God's redemptive plan for us all. He is rejoicing in the Father's goodness towards us. The text says he is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. The phrase in the Greek means that Jesus is exceedingly glad. His spirit is rejoicing through the Spirit. The reality is, is that he is rejoicing with God. The Trinity friends, is belly bumping. They are high-fiving. They are doing the wave. I can't emphasize how much joy is going on in heaven. 
there is a joyful expression. It's the same expression as Mary was rejoicing when Jesus jumped in her womb. There, Jesus is rejoicing in the Godhead. There is a heavenly happy dance going on here. The, the nerdy theological answer to the question is of what God rejoices in. God rejoices in himself. Because what could you give God that's better than God? He's not going to be impressed if you give him an iPad. Right? God must rejoice in his own goodness. The gospel displays God's ultimate goodness to the universe. It does. it Because it, he's redeeming something as sinfully pathetic as us. Right? And, and so, as when he redeems us, it's displaying to the universe how good he is. And he's rejoicing in the majesty, in the goodness of the gospel. And, and Jesus glorifies his father in his plan. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and from the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He praises the Father for the amazing play that he has given to him to redeem all of his creation. Now, even though Jesus is the player that comes down to the field and does the work on the field, he gives credit to his father as the coach, as the designer who does the work on the field. God has hidden the way of salvation from the proud, the wise, and the understanding means the religious, the elite, the scribes, and the Pharisees. Instead, he reveals it if he reveals the secret of the kingdom of God to little children, which means the humble, people of no significance or social status in their society. Jesus did not come from the elite. He came from the broken and everyday man and woman. He came to the broken, the everyday man and woman. And this verse is also saying that truth is revealed by God through his grace. Truth does not come from having great knowledge and understanding. So Jesus is praising God, his father, for his goodness of giving his grace to the humble so that anybody can know him. He says this, all things have been handed to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Whoever the Father is except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now friends, that is quite a statement. All things. That's everything. Everything in this world. Everything in the universe. Every power. Jesus is claiming all authority. As God, right here, God the Father has handed Jesus his authority. Jesus is saying that no one can truly know his Father's identity without 
the Father revealing it. And also, who God is without Jesus, the Son, choosing to reveal Him to you. What Jesus is saying is that He is the exclusive path, the only path to knowing God. And that's what he's going to say in John 14 a little bit later. He's going to say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, it's through his choice. It's through grace that coming to know God is not through some privilege that comes only to kings and to princes and to people of knowledge, it's by his love and by his grace that we come to know God. And that's why the religious elite will always hate Jesus because they think their privilege makes them know Jesus. But Jesus comes to people by grace. Not because of their capability. But by his mercy. Jesus is saying there's not multiple paths or hundreds of gods or that only a few brilliant people can make the cut. He has the one path, and it's a simple path. And whoever is humble may enter that path. God's plan has always been simple. Jesus was once asked, what is God's greatest command? And in Mark 12, 29 through 31, he said, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no command greater than these. God said that to his people in the desert in Israel or to the people in Israel in the desert. And what this means is God needs to be the number one priority in your life. Think a big foam finger pointed up to God. Bible says God is love and we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And then we are to love each other, love our neighbors as ourselves. We are made in God's image and God rejoices in God. And so we are to rejoice first in God. And we are created by God, so God rejoices in us. And we should rejoice in one another. So I want to show you God's simple plan. You know, in the game, you got to have the play to win. This is the Hail Mary. This is, this is, the, this is the plan to win. Got to have the right play. So here it is. Just need a simple play. That's what what Jesus is saying. There's a, a simple play. God's design is simple. What do you say? It's love, right? It's all about love. Love Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. But the problem is, we all depart from that design. And because of that, our lives become broken. They become broken. That departure, the Bible would call sin. 
Now sin's got, that word has a lot of baggage. We attach shame to it. But the word simply means to miss the mark. It's like an archer shooting an arrow. And the arrow misses the target. Well, what was the target in the first place? Love. The great commandment. And we miss it all the time. And when we end up in this broken place, we feel it. We don't like it. We know that our world is broken. The creation is frustrated. And so we feel that and we try solutions to fix it. We might try drinking too much. Become alcoholic. We might try eating too much. We might have an affair. We might try entertainment, Netflix and Hulu. We might try religion. That doesn't work. We might try um, pornography. We might try overworking. We might try success. We might try self-improvement. There are a hundred ways that we try to fix ourselves. And the Bible says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Eternal death in hell. We cannot fix ourselves. We become separated, more and more separated from God because all those paths lead us further and further away from God. But there is another way. And it is to turn back to something called the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God sent his son down to this earth. He was God's perfect design. He loved people. He cared about people. He stood up for people. He showed what it was to live like a man as God's perfect design. And God allowed him to be captured. And even though he was innocent, he was condemned to die on a Roman cross. He was beaten. He was shamed. He was spit upon and he was mocked. And he was put on a cross to die. And yet on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're broken. And then he died. And three days later, God did a miracle. He walked back out of the tomb. And that proved two very important things. One, he had the power to do exactly what he said, to forgive all of humanity for all of their sins, because he died taking the punishment for all of our sins. And he had the power to help us recover and pursue God's design again for our lives. And if we will turn back to him, which is called repentance, and believe that he lived and he died for our sins and he rose again, if we will believe in what he did for us, he will forgive our sins and give us the power to recover our lives. And then he'll put us on his team. And he will send us back out into the world to teach others this play and help a broken world come out of their brokenness as well. What does it say on the back of my shirt? What does it say? 
Where are you? Where are you today? We're all somewhere here. Where do you need to go? Jesus was rejoicing that same hour because his players were out playing the game to win. The game his father designed. This is the game the whole Bible is based on. Every throughout the Bible. It's that circular plan. And Jesus was rejoicing because his players were out to win the game his father had designed because it's all about him. And they were sharing in his victory. And turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Beloved, God's joy is shared with his disciples. The word blessed means happy. And it's a, an abiding sense of well-being. See, we are made joyful in the simple victory of the gospel as well. As we share his plan of salvation, as we share our testimony of what he has done in our lives, it gives us joy in what he has done in us. What makes God's people rejoice? It's God's own goodness in redeeming us and redeeming his creation. You know, sometimes people come to me with ideas for improving his church. Beloved, it's not going to be done with a brand new building. It's not going to be done with new programs or new praise songs or new guitars or better organizations or bigger budgets or better equipment or cooler staffs. Those things are good, but they're secondary. The church, friends, is us. And the church must be involved in what makes our master joyful. Amen? And we become joyful when the master's joyful. And when we share in his joy, there's no greater joy to me than seeing new people start to understand his gospel for themselves and start to walk in his journey. What did Jesus tell his disciples? I will teach you to become fishers of men. These disciples had seen his plan and now started to share his plan and they got to see their master rejoice in their presence. Can you imagine seeing Jesus rejoicing, jumping out of his skin, which had to make them even more joyful as well? Now, friends, there are three parables in Luke 15 about lost things. There's one about a lost sheep out of nine, out of a hundred. There's one about one lost coin out of ten. And there's one about two lost sons. Now in the story about the coins, the widow finds her lost coin and, and, and she, she, when she finds it, she throws a celebration. It says this in verse 9 uh, of Luke 15. Uh, when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me! I have found the coin that I have lost. And then in verse 10 it says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. 
well, who is the, who is the joy coming for before the angels of God? Who, who, who is the joy coming from before the angels of God? Who is it? God! God is the one who is joyful over one sinner. There's a party going on. God's having a party over one sinner. Can you imagine in all of heaven, there's a party going over with just one sinner. When you came to Christ, one sinner, there's a party. God's having a party. That's amazing. When one sinner repents, God has got to be the most joyful being in all the universe. Verse 24 says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings to desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus says, For I tell you, Jesus has already claimed to be God. And if he's telling us something, we better hear it. He's, what he's telling us is that what I just scratched out on this board for you today, got to memorize it because it's a miracle. I know it's chicken scratch, but it's a miracle. Take it off my shirt. It's a miracle. Throughout the ages, all kinds of religious prophets and holy men have desired to understand and to know God and to know his kingdom. Buddha did not see this. Muhammad did not see this. Confucius did not see this. Even King David did not see the gospel in this full reality the way you see it. Elijah did not see this. Many kings and holy men's bones decay and sit in a tomb in graves. And yet you know today that Jesus walked out of the grave alive and is alive today. People throughout the ages have searched for answers that you have right in front of you. Thousands of animals have been sacrificed. Large temples have been built. People have died to build them. Wars have been fought. And yet God, in his wisdom, chose to reveal to you the simplicity that his only son died for you and walked out of a grave right here in the sunshine in Plainfield, Illinois, today. Isn't that amazing? He is the word of God who became flesh, who dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. Today, we can rejoice in the good plan of his Father, our God, that would come and die as a Lamb of God, taking away the sins of all the people of the world. And his word says, whoever, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you have done, doesn't matter how sinful you are, Whoever would believe in him will have eternal life. Jesus alone has proved his word. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not anybody else. Because on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time because the grave could not hold him. It could not corrupt him. And now all heaven and earth rejoices at the name of Jesus. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He made the touchdown. 
And he has all authority on heaven and earth. And at him, every knee will bow. Today, come join his team that you may rejoice with him forever. Today, turn from your sins and believe in him. Today, friends, rejoice on this beautiful day in his love for you. Today, rejoice in his plan to save the world. Today, rejoice that he has made you part of his plan. Team, everybody stand. Let's huddle and pray. Let's pray. Huddle up, huddle up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for Jesus. We thank you for what he has done, that he has revealed his word to us babes. That he has loved us that much, that he's given us this beautiful day to enjoy. And and that he has saved us. Father, if there's anybody here that hasn't realized that they have been loved since before the foundation of the world, Father, let them turn from their sin today and receive that. May they become joyful in the fact that they are loved. Let them cry tears of knowing how loved they are. Let the old life die and let them be born again into something new, a dearly loved child of God. We thank you for what you are doing right now and we praise you for your kindness and mercy to sinners. In Christ's name I pray. Today, if you'd like to pray with me, I'll be up here in front. Jeremy and the band is going to sing.